pull out your Bibles, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 7 this morning. And we're going to begin uh, in verses 1 through 7. So let's read this together. Um, Genesis 7, 1 through 7. It says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground." And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Thus says the word of God. You guys may be seated. We are continuing this morning our series on the book of Genesis with a particular emphasis on six specific characters. And we're not just wanting to tell the stories of six guys, but we want to examine um, how these six characters and how their stories are a picture, a foreshadowing, if you will, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I cannot tell you how excited I am about this because I sat through... Sunday school lesson after Sunday school lesson, year after year after year, and I never got to hear how Jesus is a better Adam, how Jesus is a better Noah, how Jesus is a better Abraham, a better Joseph, a better Moses. I never, I never saw the Old Testament and saw the gospel in there, and so I'm so excited that, that here and, and our kids in the back, that we're able to, to look at and to show through Scripture how all of Scripture, Genesis through Revelation, is about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's exciting to me. Um, a lot of times we regard the Old Testament as something that just doesn't matter a whole lot anymore, right? I mean, it was, it was important a long time ago, uh, but we're new covenant believers now, so the Old, the Old Testament doesn't really apply. It's not that important, and we don't really need to mess with it a whole lot. But I want to tell you that not only does the Old Testament provide context for the new covenant and for God's kingdom... Um, it doesn't just provide that context, but the Old Testament is continuously over and over announcing the coming of this new king and his new kingdom. The overarching theme or storyline that we see all the way through from Genesis to Malachi is the anticipation of a savior and how this savior will save a people for himself. It's as if every passage is screaming at us that Jesus is coming, the King is coming, His kingdom is coming. Last week we saw how Adam serves as one who foreshadowed the coming of Jesus, the better Adam, the last Adam. And this week we're going to turn our attention to the story of Noah. 
and uh, how he built a giant boat. Uh, And uh, Noah and the ark is um, one of the most well-known, I would argue maybe the most well-known story uh, in the Bible. doesn't matter if you've been in church uh, much or not. You have most likely heard the story of this crazy dude who builds a giant boat and fills it with a bunch of animals to survive a flood. And we've been teaching it to our kids in Sunday school for for years and years. And typically it, it goes something like this, you know, hey, if if you're if, if you can be a good person, then you will find favor with God like Noah did. Or if, if you're good and moral, then you will survive the punishment that God is going to pour out on the world. Or if, if you have great faith like Noah did, then you will overcome the floods of this life. You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, but this morning, again, I want to draw attention to how this kind of random, bizarre story is a picture, a foreshadowing of how God intends to save his people. It's a picture, it's an announcement of the gospel. See, Noah's Ark is is not meant to just be a cool story, although it is a cool story. Um, I I really enjoy it. Um, It's not meant to be a morality lesson. The story of Noah is a gospel proclamation. It's an anticipation of a savior. It's, it's a giant road sign that's pointing us straight to Jesus Christ. And so let's take a look at this uh, great story together. As we, uh, as we get to Genesis chapter 6, which is where our story begins, hundreds of years have passed since Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. And we see at the beginning of chapter 6 that things have not gotten any better, right? Adam and Eve said in the garden, you know what, God? You gave us all this great stuff, um, but we think that we know better than you. And so we're going to try this thing our way. And surprise, surprise, that didn't work out too well for them or for mankind. Genesis 6 verse 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The people of God who were created in his own image, the people that he breathed his life into, the people that he gave face-to-face fellowship with in paradise, those people had rejected him and rebelled against him. God had given mankind everything, everything they could ever need or desire, but they turned their backs. They said, we don't need you, God. We're going to do this thing our way, the way we see fit you know sometimes we're we're guilty of of downplaying our sin acting like it's not a very big deal oh yeah i did this or that but you know it's not that big a deal but sin at its core is is us shaking our fist in god's face saying i don't need you i'm gonna do this my way and god is grieved right his creation which he originally pronounced as very good, is now corrupted by sin, has rejected him. Genesis 6, 6 and 7, And the Lord regretted 
that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. See, the consequence of sin is always judgment. Consequence of sin is judgment. God in his absolute holiness, his absolute righteousness, he cannot turn a blind eye to our sin. He can't sweep it under the rug. He can't say, oh, you know, yeah, let's just forget about that. It it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. God can't do that. God looks at what he has made and his pronouncement is you have fallen short of my glory and therefore my judgment is coming. Because God is absolutely just, but God is also merciful. He's also merciful. See, he could have, at that very moment, he could have wiped out everyone, including Noah, including his family, and he would have been absolutely justified in doing so. But God, in his mercy, had a plan to save a people for himself. The wrath and the judgment of God are coming on the earth And God's great plan to save his people is to have them build a giant wooden boat. Now, think about this for a second. This is an interesting story. Uh, Noah lives on the land. Uh, He's not a sailor or a sea captain, as far as we know. Uh, Don't know if he's ever even seen a boat, let alone been on one. And he certainly never experienced a, a a large global scale flood before. And God says, no, I'm going to judge the earth. So I want you to build a giant boat. That's natural conclusion, right? And Noah must've been thinking, wait, wait, wait a minute. I think I heard you wrong. Have you, have you ever thought that when God told you something, it's like, ah, surely I heard that wrong. Surely that's not what you're telling me to do. God, I must've misunderstood you. I mean, if I started to build a massive ship in the middle of Lubbock because, because God told me to, what would you think? You'd say, yeah, this guy's definitely hearing voices, but it's not God that's speaking to him, right? I think this guy's crazy. But here's the thing about God. Maybe you've picked up on this throughout your life. God's purpose for you and I is not to understand everything that he's doing. It's to have faith in what he's doing and to trust that it's good right so if god says move to a foreign country and share the gospel then do it if he says sell what you have and share with the poor then do it if he says i want you to adopt some kids then do it if he says you need to love your neighbor sacrificially the way jesus does then we need to do it if he says suffer and endure suffering gladly for the sake of my glory then we do it If he says, build a huge boat bigger than a football stadium, then we better build the boat, right? See, we we humans, we love to be in control. We love to have everything under control. But our desire for control is an enemy of faith. God says, what I'm asking you to do, it may seem foolish. It may not make sense to you. But trust me. Trust that I'm good. Trust that I love you and that I'm working for your good. Build a boat, Noah. Build a giant boat. And so Noah builds a giant boat. See, but Noah, he doesn't have to figure all this out on his own, right? It's God himself 
who provides the plan, who provides the means, who provides the way. God doesn't say, hey, Noah, I'm going to judge the earth. I'm sending a huge flood. Um, You better figure something out quick or else you're going to be in trouble. I like you, Noah. I'm rooting for you. Best of luck. I hope you make it. Right? That's, That's not what God says to Noah. God provides the way whereby Noah and his family will be saved. So we see that mankind has rebelled against God. God is sending his righteous wrath to judge sin, to judge the earth. But for his chosen people, he makes a way whereby they might be saved from the coming judgment. And we know how the story goes from here, right? Noah builds the boat. He builds the ark and all the animals show up. And in chapter 7, God tells Noah to enter into the ark. So Noah and his family enter into the ark and God, the, the scripture says, God shuts them in, which we'll get to that in a minute. Genesis seven sixteen. and those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. I think it's, I think it's significant to point out that there's, there's only one door to the ark. There's only one way you can get in to the ark. There aren't a whole bunch of doors and, well, I like this door and you take that door and, you know, you take, you take that door. Um, there's, there's not windows you can, you can climb in or squeeze through. Um, you, can't, you can't scale the side. You can't pole vault your way in. You either enter through the door, the only door, or you don't enter at all. And after Noah and his family enter, it says that God shuts them in. He closes the door and doesn't open again until the judgment has passed. Now, I want to think about that statement, that, that idea that God shut them in. Uh, because I've, I've read this story and this statement my whole life. And I've, I've always understood the emphasis to be on God keeping people out. Right? God shuts the door so nobody else can get in. And I'm not saying that's not true. I, I, think, I think there's absolutely truth in that. I'm sure that as the rains began to fall, that Noah's neighbors desperately tried to get into the ark. I imagine they tried to pry the door open in, the door open as the floods were beginning to rise, or maybe climb up the sides of the walls. But the door was shut. There's, there's no way in. The judgment has come. And it's too late. There will be a time when Jesus returns where it's too late for some of us. And that's a reality. And we can't, we can't hide that. We can't ignore that. But what I think is even more significant is not the fact that God is keeping people out, but that God is keeping people in. Have you ever thought about that? God shuts Noah into the ark and nothing, not even the flood of God's wrath, will jeopardize Noah's position in the ark. Nothing, nothing, nothing can push him out of it because it's God who's shut him in. And then the rains begin to fall. Genesis seven nineteen to 23. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. 
birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. God's judgment comes upon the earth and nobody can stand against it. No one. And every living being on the face of the earth is wiped out except for those who are in the ark. The only way to escape the just judgment of God is by being in the ark. That's it. There's no other way. Noah and his family were saved, not because of their moral perfection, not because they never sinned, right? We know that Noah sinned. You read Genesis chapter 9, you read how Noah got stinking drunk and passed out naked in his tent, and his kids had to come in and cover him up, and he was, he was so drunk he didn't even remember it, right? I mean, this, this, is, this is the Noah that we're talking about right here. And, uh, you know, I've, I've certainly, as a dad, I've made so many mistakes. But I have, at least to this point, never passed out naked in front of my children. And so I call that a parenting win. Um, thank you. <clears throat> thank you. No, here's the point. Noah and his family weren't saved because they were sinless. They were saved because they entered into the ark, Right? So here's, here's what we see from the story of Noah. We see, we see that mankind has rebelled against God and that God is sending his just judgment to, against sin, against mankind. But we see that God makes a way whereby his people might be saved. And if they will enter into what God has provided, they will be saved. There's only one way in, but once they have entered in, God shuts them in and they are saved. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like the gospel to me. Are you, are you picking up on that? We talked last week about how Adam is, is a, a picture of Christ, a foreshadowing of Christ. And as we read the story of Noah, I certainly think... That, that Noah is a, type, is, is a Christ type in this story, right? We see that, that Noah found favor with God, um, that he was righteous before God, and that through his obedience, his family was saved, right? So there, there is absolutely um, truth to the idea of Noah being a picture of Jesus. But as we look at this story, I think there's even a better picture of Jesus. Have you caught that yet? It's the ark, right? The ark is a picture of Jesus. Why in the world does God include this crazy story about a boat at the very beginning of Scripture? Why would he do that? It, it, it doesn't make sense unless this giant boat is a picture of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Mankind has rebelled against God. And guys, that's, that's not a past tense reality, right? That's a, that's a 2019 today reality. Sin at its root is, is us rebelling against God. You and I have rebelled against God. 
Now, we like to point fingers at other groups, right? Well, it's the Democrats' fault, and they're what's wrong with society. No, it's the Republicans' fault. Uh, you know, well, it's, it's the, this whole LGBTQ movement. They're the problem. Well, no, it's these, it's these religious fundamentalists. They're the problem. Well, it's all the illegal aliens that are coming across the border. They're the problem. Well, no, it's Hollywood. Hollywood's the problem. Listen, listen. The truth is that every intention of the thoughts of our hearts is only evil continually. Genesis 6, 5. That's as much true today of mankind as it was in the days of Noah. And because of our sin, because of our rebellion, God is going to judge us. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week. No, that's not where the story ends, right? Romans 2 verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And in case... You think that maybe doesn't include you. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 3 that none is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks for God. Nobody. So there are storm clouds headed our way. I don't think your little umbrella is going to do you a whole lot of good. But thanks be to God that he's not only just, but he's also merciful. I mean, we sang that, right? Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. How many of you have ever felt overwhelmed by your sin? I'm trying to think if there are days where I haven't felt overwhelmed by my sin, right? But his mercy is more. My sins are many, but his mercy is more. Thank you, Jesus. The book of Titus reminds us of our sin, of our rebellion, but also of the mercy of God, which is greater than our sin. Titus 3, 3 through 6 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Well, that doesn't sound very good, does it? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You and I were, were rebels against God, dead, stinking in our sin, hating God, hating each other. And God said, I want to show you mercy. I want to have mercy on you. I want to make a way for you to be saved. And God in his mercy provided a way for his people to be saved. And he didn't leave it up to us, thank goodness. He didn't leave us on our own to figure out a way. God himself provided the way. And his provision may have seemed foolish to a lot of the world, right? Wait a minute. God, you're going to send your son to be shamed and publicly mocked and tortured and executed? What kind of plan is that, God? What are you thinking? That sounds about as crazy as building a giant boat in the middle of a desert, right? Nevertheless, God in his wisdom sent his son. And if you are in the son, if you are in Christ, then you will be saved. How was Noah saved, right? It's real simple. He walked his two little legs into the boat, right? 
How are you and I saved? We are saved by being in Christ. That's it. That's it. And there's only, there's only one way in, right? There's only one door. What does Jesus say in John 14? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It says again in John 10 verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I can't think of a better picture of religion than, um, than man, mankind's attempt to find another way into the boat, right? There's only one way. There's only one way. And you can, you can look all you want. You can try to climb up the walls. You can try to find a window. But there is only one way into the boat. Jesus is the only way. And we enter into him through faith. Just as Noah and his family entered into the ark by faith, so we enter into Christ through faith by trusting in him and in him alone to save us. And here's the best news. You ready? Once you've entered into Christ through faith, God shuts you in, right? He shuts you in. Um, as a pastor, you get get this question a lot. David, how, how can I be sure that I'll always be saved? How can I be sure that down the road I'm not going to just lose my salvation and, and not belong to Jesus anymore? Well, here's the thing. Our confidence is not and cannot be in our own ability to keep ourselves in Christ. Our confidence is in God's ability to keep us in Christ. If you are if you are in Christ, if you have entered into Christ through faith, then God has shut you in. You can be absolutely confident in his power to keep you shut in. Think about it like this. How many of you have ever been on one of those crazy rides at the at the fair or at Six Flags or whatever? Like the, the, the spinning, like hanging upside down, where going 400 miles an hour, where the only thing that's keeping you from plummeting to your death is a little bar and pad that goes over your chest, right? Have you guys ridden one of those before? Some of you, yeah. So um, I don't know about you, but I get in one of those and I think, I really hope this thing stays closed. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe it's just me and my twisted mind. I don't know. But I think if this thing were to pop open, I'm going to be dead real quick. So I really hope that this thing is going to stay closed for me. Now, imagine you were going on one of these rides. You sit in the seat and you you pull the bar down over your chest. And the operator comes up and he says, oh, hey, by the way, um, these bars don't stay closed on your own. So um, you're going to have to hold it closed uh, throughout the ride. So I hope you're really strong, right? How many of you would sign up for that ride? Or a better question, how many of you would live longer than three seconds on that ride, right? Because I don't know about you, but I am counting on, when I'm, when I'm riding on one of those rides, I am counting on a power much greater than my own that's going to hold me in that ride, right? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? If it were up to you and I to keep ourselves in Christ, we would, every single one of us, fail miserably, without exception. 
But thank God that the good news of the gospel is not just that Jesus saved us once, but that Jesus keeps us saved. God has shut you in, and no matter what the devil tries to do to you or throw to you, he can't touch you because God has shut you in, and he will keep you. He will keep you. All right, so what's the point? What's the point, David? Okay, that's a cool story. I like, I like Noah and the ark a little bit better now. I like the story a little bit more. But, but what's, what's the point? What are we getting at? Well, I hope this is okay, but it's pretty simple. I'm, I'm a simple guy, so I like, I like simple things that kind of stare me right in the face. So it's pretty simple. You ready? Um, are you in the boat? That's, that's the question. Are you in the boat? See, it's not enough to know that a storm's coming. Oh, yep, see the clouds. There they are. It's not enough to waterproof your house, put your storm shutters up. It's not enough to get your floaties on, right? It's not enough to admire the boat from the outside. Hey, look at that good-looking boat, right? Are you in the boat? See, some of you here today, you don't really see the urgency. Yeah, I've, I've got time, or, you know, it's, it's, it's not that big a deal, or God's not really going to judge me. In Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking about how his second coming is going to catch people by surprise. And he compares his second coming to the days of Noah. Listen to what he says, Matthew 24, 37 to 39. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And if you are not in Christ, then you will be swept away. Listen, you can go to church your whole life. You can do all the religious stuff. You can give your money away. But trying to attain right standing with God without trusting in Jesus is like trying to survive the flood by practicing your swimming, right? Well, you know, I've, I've been putting in some laps at the Y lately, so I think I'm ready for the flood. No, you're not ready. And you're not going to be ready that way. And listen, it's not just, it's, it's not just enough to, to, to say that, yeah, we, we believe uh, that Jesus was a real person. We believe that he lived. We believe that, that he died. It's not, just, it's not enough to just agree with that. Nominal acceptance of Jesus is like standing next to the ark and saying, hey, look at this ark. I really like this ark. It's a good-looking ark. I like to hang out near this ark all the time. You know, I like to pull up my chair, and I love to sit right next to it, and it's just so great, me and the ark. Well, listen, you got to be in the ark, right? It's not going to do you any good to be next to it or to think it's such a good-looking ark. You've got to be in it. Are you in the boat? Are you in Christ today? Have you entered into fellowship with Jesus through faith, or are you just admiring him from a distance? If today you hear his voice, Hebrews says, do not harden your hearts. Are you in Christ? And if you're not, why can today not be the day? You know, the door's, the door's still open, and the invitation to enter in is there. And those of us in would love you to join us. We really would. And for the rest of us, for those already in the boat, what 
in the world do we have to be afraid of? What do we have to be worried about? Well, you know, oh man, the government is so corrupt and, you know, yeah, okay. Well, you know, I've been hearing this thing about climate change and the ice caps are melting and the world's going to flood. Well, okay, I don't know, maybe. Um, Well, you know, our schools are so dysfunctional and they're taking prayer away and we've had these, you know, they're not safe. We've had shootings. Yeah, we have. That's true. Well, you know, there's so much sickness in the world and so much disease and, you know, my body is betraying me and wasting away. Yep. Yep. Well, you know, there's just so much moral decay in this world. There's so much there's so much sin and there's so much evil in society. Yeah. There's a lot of that. But listen, you are in the boat. What do you have to be afraid of? You are in Christ. Now, the waves might rock you around a little bit. They might make you seasick from time to time. But nothing, nothing can kick you out of the boat. Nothing. That's exactly what Paul means in Romans 8 when he says that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. No power. Nothing. Right? What, do we, what do we just sing earlier? No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from your hand. Ever. Because I stand in Christ, in the power of Christ. What can the world do to me? If you are in Christ, then nothing can separate you from his love. The only thing you and I need to worry about is telling other people that they need to get in the boat with us. That's it. That's it. So let's, church, let's take heart today. Let's, let's take courage today. Yes, there is a lot of dysfunction in the world around us. But we have a Savior who will make all things new. And we need to tell people about him. Let's take heart. Let's tell people that, yes, there's a flood coming. Right? We don't want to pretend like that's not the reality. There is a flood coming. Trust me. But let's also tell them about the saving grace of Jesus, which is greater than all our sin. Um, I think it's appropriate that we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper together. I'm going to ask our, uh, our helpers if they would come up now uh, as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And as I was, as I was thinking about, about Noah and the story of Noah this week, I imagined he and his family sitting in the ark together as the flood waters are rising and sharing a meal together and thanking God. Thank you, God, for making a way for us. As the world was being destroyed around them, thank you, God, for making a way. And as we come to the Lord's table this morning, we're essentially doing the same thing together, right? We are, we are coming together as the body of Christ, both affirming and celebrating the fact that we are in Christ. We're in the boat. And because we're in Jesus, we're saved. So really, you know, communion's just, it's a party for those who are in the boat together. It's a celebration. Thank you, God. And again, if you're not, what are you waiting for? There is room at the Lord's table for you. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be sinless. You just have to get off your butt, get in the boat. Come on. Why don't you do that today? First Corinthians, which we read almost every week. These words that Paul wrote. 
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray for us. And, um, and then when you're ready... There's no rush. When you're ready, come up and you celebrate the Lord's Supper with your church family. And uh, again, this is this is for believers. This is for people who are who are in the boat in Christ. So if you're not a believer, if you've not trusted in Jesus, um, then this this holds no meaning to you. But our prayer is that today would be the day where you enter. Through trusting in Jesus, you enter into him and are saved. So let's pray and then we'll celebrate together. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for providing a way whereby we might be saved. Thank you that you looked upon a people that were sinful, that were dead in their sin, rotting corpses, And you decided that you wanted to show us mercy. I don't have any response for that, Lord, but we're just so thankful. We're so thankful. Thank you, God, for your son. And though it looked absolutely foolish to the world, through your son, you made a way that we might be saved. Thank you, Jesus, for your body that you allowed to be broken and wounded and torn to pieces for our sake, that we could be made whole. Thank you for your blood that you willingly allowed to be spilled for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you that because of you, because we're in you, we are clean and pure and white. Thank you that we can celebrate this now together as a body and as a family. What a, what a beautiful thing to be allowed to do this together as your body, celebrating together everything you've done for us. So we thank you, Lord. With all of our hearts, we thank you. And we come to your table joyfully with, with joyful, grateful, thankful hearts for your mercy, which is greater. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.